Hello, you are about to listen to another episode of Beyond Clean, a podcast where we talk about everything that is healthy, positive, and proactive. I am your host, Dave Thompson. Yes, we are in Season 4. We broadcast out of Orlando, Florida. This is where the cleaning industry talks about everything that is healthy, positive, and proactive. We would love to have you on the show, so reach out to me, D. Thompson at academyofcleaning.com or at 888-999-6059. Be sure to listen to our live streaming that we will be doing this year on Podbean. Now, for today's show, let's get started. Good afternoon to you. Well, I guess the, yeah, it is afternoon. It's a Monday afternoon. See, it's on a Monday, and I don't even know if it's afternoon or morning. So, hello, folks. I am Dave Thompson. I am the director of the Academy of Cleaning Excellence here. We are sponsored by Jim Supply out of Orlando, Florida. And as we do, we have, well, all kinds of different people that come here and talk on our podcast. We talk about everything that is healthy, positive, and proactive. The cleaning industry is waking up to podcasting, but we're not all there. That's why we are live this afternoon on Podbean Live. If you're joining us on a recorded version, well, we encourage you to come to one of our live shows and uh, engage with us. Before I get too far into this this afternoon, I want to welcome Jerry. He is with Brady Industries. He has been... Well, as far as I can tell about with them for oh, five or six years, something like that, as an equipment specialist, he is out of Las Vegas, Nevada. He oversees sales and program development and is here to talk to us about equipment. Jerry, are you on the line with us? I am here. Thanks for having me. Good deal. Well, Jerry, uh, you know, I, that was a little bit of intro that I picked up uh, from uh, your LinkedIn profile and some other stuff. So, Tell the audience a little bit more about Jerry Brady Industries in Las Vegas. Um, so, yeah, I started uh, I started with Brady Industries uh, April of 2014, uh, based out of Las Vegas here as the uh, equipment specialist. Um, and for those of you that don't know exactly what an equipment specialist does, it's um, it's the way that distribution drives the sales side of equipment. Uh, to its end users. Um, this is a person that um, pulls the demo trailer, meets with customers, does site surveys, tries to bring real mechanized solutions to the end users. Um, occasionally we have to turn a wrench uh, and get involved on the service side, but for the most part, this is strictly sales, uh, more consulting sales than anything. So I did that um, brief stint. Uh, I would say brief because most of the people I meet in the industry have got my their tenure, my tenure, uh, they don't compare. But I did that for about five years here in Las Vegas. Um, then I was promoted to division manager of equipment and floor care um, for all of our 20-plus locations now um, nationwide. So you run all over the place. Where you're, Are you in Vegas today, or where are we at? Yeah, I'm in Vegas. Uh, last week, I... Uh, Flew out to Oklahoma City on Wednesday evening. I uh, worked with our Oklahoma City team Wednesday. Drove to Tulsa Wednesday evening, which is about a two-hour drive. Woke up in Tulsa Thursday, presented to our Tulsa team in our northwest part of Little Rock, Arkansas. 
spent day there, and then I drove from Tulsa to Wichita, Kansas Thursday night. Woke up Friday morning in Wichita, presented, and then I hit a, a plane trip back to here in Las Vegas around 3 o'clock on Friday. Today I am in Las Vegas, uh, but I am heading back out to Arkansas Wednesday through Friday of this week. So crazy, exciting times for uh, Brady Industries right now. We are a uh, food service, janitorial supply house, um, equipment sales and service. Um, who knows, a couple years from now, who knows what we're in right now. But um, we've cut our teeth on Jansan, and uh, we've slowly gotten into other verticals. Well, you know what I have to say? Um, Vegas, and if you're a NASCAR fan, you know that they were in Vegas this last weekend. And so, hey, I watched the Vegas race, so I have to say that. On the other hand, you said you were in Tulsa, Oklahoma City. That's my old stomping ground. Matter of fact, uh, some of my relatives still live in Tulsa. So, hey, I, I know exactly where you've been. Yeah, I, uh, I'm originally from Ohio, but, um, yeah, it was nice getting back to that Midwest vibe. I don't know. The people seem to be a little bit different. <laughs> uh, yeah, pace is a little bit different. Well, we're not here to talk about people or where we've all been. Um, when it comes to equipment, and as you said, uh, some of us, <clears throat> excuse me, my throat uh, has a little trouble saying how old I am here. Uh, I've, I've been doing this for a while. Uh, you know what? I'm glad there's somebody like you because, uh, you know, 35 years of doing it, and I was always the one pulling the trailer, doing all of everything. An equipment specialist, that's a great idea. Yeah, so you mean just general, um, just general good idea to have, or um, something you didn't have a long time ago and is kind of a new role? I would agree to both those uh, statements, Jerry. But I mean, you know, Brady now with twenty locations big enough to have that. What about a small operation? Can they still do that? Uh, yes, I, I believe they could. Um, you know, the the interesting thing about the uh, Jansan industry is, um, you know. You have these regional, national, then you have more of the local mom-pa houses. Um, you know, I, I really think it's ultimately up to that owner of that company what direction they want to go. Um, I will say with the way things are buying, the, the habits of people that are buying things are changing rapidly before our eyes. I'm noticing a trend with uh, smaller Jansan houses moving to more specialized service. So equipment sales, uh, equipment floor care, um, equipment repair, because a lot of the smaller houses have realized that when you get to the nationwide level, it's harder to compete with, you know, paper, gloves, liners, you know, more of the things that have unfortunately become commoditized. Well, I think that I like the idea of specialists because I'm an education specialist. So um, yep, yep. I, I love the idea of specialists and kind of that's one of the reasons why I moved uh, down here to Florida and run the Academy of Cleaning Excellence. So it gives you a little bit better. I don't know. If we just continue to do the same thing, don't we get better at it? Yeah, no. I mean, unfortunately, when you continue to do the same thing, um, you become eventually extinct. Um, you know, it's all about uh, self, uh, what do they call that? Self-perseverance uh, uh, to where you have to constantly look in the mirror and think, what am I going to do differently today? versus what my competition is doing differently today. Um, and that's one of the ways you can do that with uh, having an equipment specialist or even, for, quite frankly, having an equipment repair shop. Um, 
with the way things is with YouTube and everything, look, it's great. You can jump on there. You, you can see videos uh, ranging from vacuums to floor scrubbers. But at the end of the day, it still requires turning a wrench. And I think a smaller player um, could look at investing in a repair house first, you know, and then eventually mold that into equipment sales. You certainly don't want to try to sell equipment and not have service behind you because that's when uh, things can get pretty strained. So, Jerry, is that what we're talking about, that if uh, a client is purchasing equipment, that service is the number one thing they should look at, or is that correct? Yeah, so, I mean, there's a lot of different brands and manufacturers in this industry. I'll say uh, the amount of equipment I've been selling, the various brands that I represent, um, we tend to lean towards the companies that are easy to do business with, because if it's easy for us to do business with, that means our customer's experience is going to be easy to do business with us. Um, you know, we, we it's it's short-sighted to try to sell the cheapest thing that's available to you because um, you have to consider all uh, components of that buying and selling process. Um, if you can sell a floor machine, for example, at $500 versus the $800 one, but the motor goes out on the $500 one, and you get a 12-week uh, parts back order, those are things you need to consider uh, and have those conversations with your customer about why what you're selling is more expensive versus the competitor. Because um, I've seen a lot of great brands, uh, household names, they can't uh, figure out that aftermarket supply side of parts, and customers have a really bad experience. So it's more the parts issue than it is a service, or is it both? Well, it's going to start with the parts, because um, if you're dealing with a company that you can't get parts from easily, then obviously your service is going to suffer. So, but again, you can buy parts all day long, but if you don't have anybody else that can fix it or use those parts, you're kind of in a catch-22. So it is kind of the chicken before the egg here thing. But if you're going to get into that part of this business, you got to do it all up front. Um, you can't really piecemeal those together. I would say the sales side of things will come as you get bigger and better at what you're doing on the service side. Well, I want to say thank you to the half dozen people that are on the line with us uh, live here on Podbean Live. We are uh, broadcasting out on the streaming network here. So thank you for joining us. If you have a question, just pop it up there on the chat and we'll talk about it. So as you look at equipment, Jerry, what's the, I guess, I guess you know, in the custodial industry, Give us a rundown of maybe what the top three pieces of equipment would be. I don't know. Yeah, so I, I think what you're going to find in, uh, if you went through education, healthcare, government, anything like that, you're obviously going to have some type of vacuum. Um, you're going to have some type of, uh, you know, auto scrubber, floor machine. Um, and then, you know, you might have a couple air movers. Um, I mean, that's really the the basic of, you know, what you're going to find in really anybody, depending on what vertical market they're in. Uh, restoration people are a little bit different, but those would be the common things, you know, outside of janitor carts and other things that are non-mechanized. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I want to say, though, what I'm noticing is um, a shift in how end users are buying pieces of equipment. Uh, you know, for the longest of time, I, I've always said for years, I can't understand why companies buy floor care equipment anymore. I mean, if I were a BSC, a business service contractor, 
I would be looking at um, more creative packages, kind of all sales and service kind of rolled into one where I pay one vendor one monthly fee and that vendor takes care of me, you know, um, you know, regardless of how my employees treat those pieces of equipment. Uh, there's a lot of options out there. The Internet's made it to where you can probably find 25 different backpack vacuums at the push of a button. But that's 25 percent of the story. Um, okay. Okay. So, so would, now, what? Now you're saying they're not actually buying the equipment. They have a package that gives them all their equipment. Or explain a little bit more. Yeah. So we we look at a lot of things differently now from a fleet management perspective. Um, you know, you deal with some large school districts or large BSCs. I mean, they're more concerned not necessarily with what's the price at the bottom of the uh, of, of the quote. They're more concerned with. I don't have enough people to manage my business and buying squeegee blades or remembering to water my batteries or, Hey, I got to replace that power cord on that backpack. I don't want to have to deal with those things anymore. I would rather pay an outside company to do that. Well, there are a lot of people would say, Oh, well I, I can, I can do a PM. I can do all this, which is great. But most PMs don't really do anything except tell you about a small problem before it becomes a bigger problem. You're still financially on the hook for those. What I'm referencing is you pay one payment to one vendor once a month for that piece of equipment. And if you lose the keys, it's free. You destroy a set of batteries, it's free. With the exception of catastrophic loss, um, we've got you covered for a set agreed amount of uh, uh, time period. Because um, what we do is we try to sell the peace of mind on owning a piece of equipment. Because um, a lot of so things is this happen... A, this so is this kind of a, a glorified lease program? Uh, yes, but it's a it's a program that feels like it's you're going through uh, some financial institution, but you know your the the suppliers that you're partnering with are help driving all that through. So you're not you're not paying a payment to a lease company. You're not buying parts through this supplier. Uh, you're not sending a PO to this service house. You're, You're not paying finance charges. One umbrella. Yep. No, 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 no finance charges on that. Just a flat monthly nope. fee. Something you can budget. Yep, absolutely. Because so now, do you are you saying that we do this with uh, an upright vacuum cleaner, backpack, a burnisher, a uh, low speed four machine? What, what's the where do we start and where do we go to as far as the size and dollar value? Well, the more I've been the more I've been discussing this with end users, the more it's getting to the point where, you know, let's let's all face the realities of what's happening in the janitorial industry. I mean, there isn't I've never heard an end user tell me, oh, my goodness, my janitorial budget went up 15 percent this year. That means I can buy better stuff. It's usually the exact opposite. The janitorial budget gets cut. Um, and generally, when the janitorial budget gets cut, there are some labor that gets pulled out of that. So I've had conversations recently with people willing to look at the numbers on a basic 20-inch low-speed floor machine, things that I thought would be out of the question. But this is, this, this is a facility that doesn't have anybody that can change a cord, swap out a switch, change a rectifier. So I tell you what, the, the programs are completely customizable. We will never turn anybody away. Uh, so in other words... There's no such thing as a dumb question. So I'm not going to ask one. I'll just keep listening. <laughs> but no, 
to your point, I did just recently do something for a 20-inch floor machine. So, no, we do not cut anything off. But I will say it it's a cost of doing business. So there are things that most people would be like, yeah, I just buy vacuums every year. I don't need anything like that. But then there's other people that are managing a large fleet and sometimes an upright vacuum does make sense. Okay. So then I'm going to ask a question, Jerry, hopefully it's not dumb. <laughs> are people buying better quality equipment or still buying throwaway? You know, I just had that interesting, uh, uh, uh comment with, uh, uh the Wichita group last week, um, one, of, one of my presentations, I have a slide that actually says, is there value in throwaway equipment? And I've thought about this for a long time, but I think if you take an outsider or an insider in this industry and you say, give me your top three items for equipment, you're going to get a backpack, an upright, maybe an auto scrubber, maybe a carpet extractor. But what I'm seeing is, is, that's the stuff that everybody's used to having. And then there's this other market of quote unquote throwaway equipment that, yeah, it's low quality. It's probably not going to last you a long time, but it solves a problem for your business. I would say that if you're looking at something that's a throwaway, don't think of it as a throwaway. Think of it as something that's supplementing your business. So are people buying equipment to make money or just buying equipment to get the job done? I see more people, well, it's a catch-22. Um, if you're a business owner and you own your own equipment, and let's say you're a school district, for example, that's a little bit of both. I'd say if you're on the contracting side, I think you're buying that to make money because you have to consider your labor, how often that person's going to be in that building. you got to make them more efficient and quicker. So I think there on that side of the contracting side, it is more about making money. Okay, we've got about 11 people on the line with us live here this afternoon on Podbean Live. I want to say thank you for that. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that come on and off, and if you've got something to say, just please do that. I need to kind of break in here just a minute, Jerry, because we are sponsored by Jim Supply. They're out of Orlando, Florida. They've been improving lives with cleaning supplies since 1930. Get that little plug in there, Jerry. Um you know, the, the interesting thing is I've worked with equipment over the <clears throat> 45 years of doing this. There are all kinds of manufacturers. There's all kinds of grades. And as you just said, some people don't understand that if even if you're just an in-house operation, it's still money involved. I mean, some of these in-house operations have more of a budget for equipment than a building service contractor. And they say, oh, we're not doing it for money. But yet money's always there. Uh, you're, no, you're absolutely right. Um, and you know, I think, I think in that perfect reason, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, go hyper fast into the future here, but I think we have to at least have a segment of this to kind of discuss robotics. Um, oh, you know, no, I, I was hoping you'd go there cause that's where I really wanted to go at the end of this one. Yeah, so here's the here's the interesting thing I've noticed over the years, and I, look, I get it. I mean, as labor increases, you know, businesses, as you said, it's not about money, but it is. Businesses have to make their people more efficient, faster, et cetera, et cetera. Well, as a previous equipment specialist, now that you know the division manager of this category for Brady, um, 
I often question myself when I'm in front of customers now. So and I'll give you an example. A facilities using a 12-inch upright vacuum. They use that for their hallways. They use it for their cubicles. They do all of this. Then their janitorial rep comes in and says, hey, have you ever thought about a 28-inch wide area vacuum? Uh, no, I haven't, but send me some information on it. Nothing ever happens. A demo's done. They, they couldn't get approved. Fast forward to now, that same building that was using a 12-inch upright vacuum are attempting to budget for a $60,000 robotic vacuum. Let's call it that. So what I don't quite... I don't quite understand where that happened. And the only thing I can think of is it's just people keeping up with themselves, keeping up with their competitors. When it's like, help me understand this, Mr. Customer. You want to look at a robot now, but you wouldn't look at that $2,000 investment on making your person save maybe two hours in labor a night, moving from an upright to a wide area vacuum. I wish I had an answer for that. I don't. The only thing I can think of is they're doing it, so we got to do it. Okay, so let me throw a couple things out. <clears throat> um, you know, we're live here on the air on Podbean Live. It's a Monday afternoon, about 2.30 Eastern time. You know, what I find is that people have started to realize where their worker comp issues come from. And whenever you're, since you're talking about vacuums, most of the worker comp claims come from back and arm injuries. And the number one piece of equipment that causes those is an upright vacuum. And at the average worker's comp claim at $30,000 a piece, I think if you're talking about a robotic uh, vacuum, just think of how many uh, worker's comp claims could be minimized or eliminated with that one robotic machine. There's your 60 grand. Yeah, so that, that, that's the interesting thing. So the question I would have for this industry is, why did they start with essentially? I mean, you can you can you can argue where it started and when it's you know really started to take off, but why did everybody start with ride-on floor scrubbers? I mean, workman comp claims on a ride-on floor scrubber, it's got to be pretty well, minimal. You sit on a machine and you you know drive around for a couple hours. The um, number one reason they did that, Jerry, is because that's what everybody sees. There's more hard floor and the visual of that hard floor being shiny and clean is much more impactful than a clean carpet. I'm not Correct. saying one should be yep. over the other, but but simply because of the appearance factor, it got the perception going. And you've got also, I mean, just think about how much hard floor space is out there versus carpeted space. Yeah, I think depending on the market, you know, being in Las Vegas, hard floor doesn't even hold a torch to carpet. Um, it's probably 70% carpet, 30% hard floor. Um, I know of several school districts that are actually <laughs> ripping out LVT and going back to carpet. I, cause you know, carpet manu that's one thing about carpet manufacturers. They're getting smarter. They're coming out with better products. I will say hard floor obviously has the, the, the lead in the thing, but I wouldn't count carpet out now. Um, no, no, but I'm saying the auto scrubbers can also take care of, think about all of these warehouses that are concrete. And I think that's where you're talking. There's a lot of other, Absolutely. you go to industry and carpet by far is not there. I would 100% agree with you. And, and it, it's kind of like the backpack industry. You know, I think I've, I may have mentioned this to you before, but, you know, when backpacks first came out, they were super heavy, super loud, so on and so forth. 
So they had a hard adoption rate. And then you started to see companies come out with the six quart. I mean, matter of fact, I think I saw the one of the other day for a four quart. It's almost as if the backpack industry, they would have started at that four quart. They could have had an easier adoption rate as somebody's now putting something on their back. I kind of think about that now as the robotics industry. I wish they would have came out with more of those smaller uh, robotics as a better adoption to, to get to where we're at now. But I just think supply and demand, I think it's not going to be too far off. Though One day those $60,000 robots are going to be much, much cheaper. Um, have, have, Jerry, have you heard about the new restroom cleaning robot? Oh, is that the one in New York City uh, that they use on the subways, I think? No, this is this is a new robot that's coming out that'll that it'll uh, uh, open doors. It'll go into the elevator. It'll go up to the restroom, clean it and come back. Oh, man, what a what, what a time that we live in. Um, yeah, you know, and I got I guess the other thing I would say about robotics, though, is uh, and, you know, I, I've said this to the equipment suppliers. I've, I've said it to some of the software developers of this technology. But, you know, we're really not witnessing true robotics. We're witnessing more of uh, more premier cleaning tools. And the reason why I say that is, and there's a couple companies that will be launching it soon. But, you know, a true robot has its own docking station, can fill itself, can empty itself can identify traffic patterns, can deploy itself to clean that area based on spikes and lows of foot traffic. I am hoping the industry gets to that sooner than later because that's true robotics. And, and you think about this, why, why is this taking place? Because what we can't seem to do is to get frontline technicians that can routinely do the job efficiently. And, you know, I, I hate to say this, but it comes back to what we teach here at the academy. We have many, many people that are using equipment and they don't know why they're doing something. So they use the pieces of equipment incorrectly and not correct. I mean, if you can just go back to the upright vacuum, a commercial upright vacuum should not be moved in a back and forth motion should be moved in long strokes down the hall. But yet you that 12-inch vacuum you started with, what are they doing? Yep. They're making three-foot strokes back and forth and wearing themselves out. Yep. And they got the, bar the brush buried into the ground, which takes uh, power away from a single-motor vacuum, and you wind up doing more work than you should. <laughs> so this is why your robotics is coming out, is because people still can't get over. Now, is it the machine's fault? Is it the people's fault? Is it the owner's fault? It doesn't make a difference. This is why robotics is coming into existence. I've got a customer in New Jersey that if they if there is a robotic machine to do it, that's what they're doing. They're they're and, and so they have actually technicians on the payroll that they I mean, come on, let's be real. They know AI. They have to somebody has to program these machines and and do the back work. Even if it could dock itself and charge itself empty, somebody still has to operate it. Yep, absolutely. So I guess I'll. Uh, oh, it escaped me. What was the um, what was the question that I have? Oh, so the question in all of this is, and I think this is the real question because um, I've noticed some things coming out on soft floor care um, in the in the area of robotics. But I'm really hoping that as we 
get into this new, you know, area of robotics and, you know, maybe displacing workers, maybe not displacing them, maybe I'm having them focus on detail work. My hopes are is we have a governing body that monitors quality of clean as it relates to robotics. I think because, this is what you're going to see is because now we can mechanize the 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 job. Um, we're doing a broadcast this Thursday on infection prevention and, and the coronavirus. And one of the big things we're going to talk about that is is measuring the outcomes. And I think this is what you're talking about. Why do people buy equipment? It's to get an outcome, but we're not measuring yeah. those outcomes. No, you're not. And I mean, I've, I've as much as I travel, I, I see I see robotic uh, machines all over the place. And, you know, at ISSA, I saw more than enough soft floor care robotics to shake a stick at. But, you know, I, I posed the question to the one company. I'm like, well, if that's operating in an office environment and there's staples and paper clips all over the floor, that's one of the most hardest things to get out of glued down commercial carpet with the exception of gum. I go, if that thing has to go over that and it doesn't pick it up, is it going to text the supervisor on floor five to come pull an upright vacuum out of the closet and vacuum up that spot that the robot couldn't get? And this is why this is why you want to eliminate people because somebody has to go and inspect. Yep, absolutely. So I just hope that, and I think it does because they're expensive pieces of, uh, you know, they're expensive assets. But I just hope anybody that's looking into this, I think it's great. I think it's only going to get better. But there are some questions we have to have answered as an industry if we're really, if this is going to be the new horizon. And those are? Um, well, we got, we got to look at quality of clean. I mean, that, the measure. honestly, you've asked, you've asked me this question before. I mean, you know, why do, why do we mop a floor? I mean, I, I think you and I will go back and <laughs> forth on this, but I mean, honestly, it's, it's to, it, it's to trap and remove, you know, essentially the, I don't want to say coronaviruses of the world, but it's to get soils out of the buildings that we live, breathe, eat, and work in. We shouldn't be exposed to any of that. I mean, that that's the purpose I see in, in why we actually clean. And if you if you take a human element out of that and we're replacing it with a robotic element, I just hope that that robotic element can answer that question. Okay, folks, we are about 30 minutes into our show. We appreciate those people that are on the line with it. We've had about 20 people come in and out. We've got five on the line at the moment. Hopefully, it's been engaging for you. If you have a question, pop it up there on the screen. Jerry and I will attempt to answer it for you. We are live here on Podbean Live. Jerry, why do we clean a floor or why do we mop a floor? Uh, we we kind of have a little difference of opinion. And your version is what? Uh, I mean, honestly, it's just – and people say safety, so right away somebody will think, oh, yeah, because you don't want to slip on something. I mean, no, these are – whether it's your home or your office building, I mean, we, we swing a lot because we want to make that environment safe. We want to get rid of the contaminants. You know, and this isn't just mopping a floor. This is disinfecting, sanitizing, Correct. cleaning restrooms. I mean, it's, so it's a general question, but I think we do it to affect a positive outcome on public health. That's why I think we do it. Well, and, and my point is, is that we all need to get together and we couldn't disagree or agree on something more. Even though we may have different terms, Jerry, it's still about keeping it in a safe environment that is healthy. 
And that's the reason we do everything in our industry, not just the floor, as you said. So what are some of the, the I mean, as we move forward, we're not going to mechanize everything. We're not going to put a robot in for everything. Although I saw a robotic window cleaning machine the other day too. So I'm not sure where it stops, but yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, other than robotics, where are we going? You see, uh, I mean, there, there, there's more of a demand than ever from a sustainability standpoint. I mean, I'm not going to name, I'm not here to name specific brands or anything, but you know, there, we had the green movement, in chemicals, but now it's the environmentalists, it's sustainability. I mean, I, I, I hear and see a lot of businesses and verticals moving to more sustainable cleaning practices. Um, and, you know, we'll talk straight about chemicals, for example. Um, I see, you know, the industry mechanizing, the industry moving to robotics, but then I see this other part, which is I got to have chemical on demand or maybe it's not chemical on demand maybe it's you know i can replace these five chemicals with this one thing that sits up on my wall and uses ozone and water um i see a huge demand in that uh actually more than i've probably ever seen in the past okay so you're talking about um engineered water whichever way you want to engineer your water it, it, are you seeing more of this less of this people warming up to it or did the big uh, deal with tenant and Karcher just put a kibosh on it all together. No, it's it, it's more prevalent than it's ever been. I mean, you have a lot of big names out there that have their own um, engineered water. I mean, look, I mean, you, you take a look at a company like Ecolab. I mean, they look at their system called Hydrus. Um, you have people that are demanding, end users are demanding more sustainable approaches. Um, and the traditional, I'm not saying they're ever going to go away, but neutral cleaners, degreasers, uh, you know, this quat and all this other stuff. It's like, well, let me harness the power of water and oxygen and see if we can achieve or affect the same change. And we're starting to see that more. And I think social media is actually the driver of what we're witnessing right now. Education is faster than ever before. And when you have a product like engineered water, it's so simple to get that out to the public now. You know, I've always said that we've engineered water all along. The only difference is what are we engineering it with? A man-made chemical, a biochemical, or electricity and salt? It's all engineered water. Correct. So what, no, about, correct. The, yep. what, what about our units that, you know, that don't use water? Where are we going there? Let's see, you know, like in the vacuum stuff. I mean... We all can just keep going around the same thing, but uh, when are we going to start realizing that the nap in the carpet needs to have something more than just a little brush or a vacuum on the top? Well, you know, that's, that, that is a question that resides with the person that's running that department, running that building, any person that has anything to do with the cleaning of that building. That person has to first ask that question and have their own set of answers. Because one thing at the end of the day is, I mean, what we do and what my sales reps, sales managers, everybody that's out there constantly working for this Jan Sandhouse and the next one, I mean, and I don't mean this the wrong way, but, you know, sometimes when a new solution, a good process is pitched 
to that end user, that end user sometimes does not know how to take that proposal and ask for the funds to support it. Um, I think we have an ability to, as vendors and sales reps and everything else, I think we have an actual duty to this industry to show them why we're showing processes and how what that means financially, what that means for the safety of the building. I think that's what we all could get a little better at um, because that's one thing about this industry. There's so many things that I wish were out there more in the public eye, but they're not. And it's just, oh, yeah, I just get it from my paper paper soap uh, salesman, or I just get it from here, or I just get it from there. Well, let's have the question, why are we getting it from there, and can we do better? So to your question, it starts with the person that's running that facility. But isn't it the consultant? It not it, it their job to come to them and say, this is what you need? I mean – there's a lot of people out there selling equipment. What separates the, no, as you said, an equipment specialist from the rest of them? Well, I think that's, you know, that now we're getting much to the micro level, but, um, you know, it is, it, <laughs> Sorry it's about I, you that. know, it's a, no, that's all right. Um, it's identifying the right piece, having the conversation with the customer, challenging the customer. I think that's some of the things in this industry that we don't do enough of. And when I say challenge, I mean constructive criticism. Um, you know, somebody calling in for a, I don't know, 18-inch pullback extractor. You know, I think in this industry, we're just quick to search and try to find an 18-inch pullback extractor. We're getting away from, well, tell me about this. Uh, is this a new piece of equipment? Is this something you're looking to replace that you're already used to? Is this a new project? And just by answering, asking a simple question like that, you can mostly get customers to open up. And sometimes that's exactly what they need. And other times, it's you're, you can tell them something that they probably should be considering using, which becomes value added. So I think the cheapest thing is ask questions. So that's the problem, really, if you look at it, is is that we just don't time we don't take enough time to research and ask enough in-depth questions. We're we're still just bouncing over the top and not taking our time to do it. We want to get it done and get on and move on. I got things to do. Yeah, so I mean, and it's even this industry in general. I mean, I couldn't tell you how I still get calls from some of the people that you know call our office here in Vegas. Um, I need a shampoo machine. Can anybody, a shampoo honestly, machine? Can anybody yeah. define what a carpet shampoo machine is? Something that we shouldn't be using. Well, that could be a floor machine, a box and wand, a brush assists, self-contained, a truck mount. You'd be okay, surprised so. when you ask the customer, tell me about the shampoo machine. It's something that cleans my carpet. Then the next question is, does it recover water? Uh, no. Well, nine times out of 10, it's a floor machine. But these are questions we don't often ask because we're afraid that the end user has more knowledge than us and we're going to look stupid. Well, like I said earlier, there's no such thing as a stupid question. Yeah, well, um, so, so since you're talking about this, Jerry, why are we still using a floor machine on carpet? Readily available, cheap, Um. You can watch a couple YouTube videos and kind of figure it out on your own. 
Um, but your guess is as good as mine. I mean, carpet manufacturers anymore, they're getting I, – I, and I want to say this is, I mean, all respect to the carpet mills. Carpet manufacturers don't want to warranty their carpet because why? That costs their money. So what you're finding now is bonneting, uh, using a 120-pound floor machine with a poly brush on Axminster wool carpet – you find in carpet mills that are writing in the policies that you are going to avoid your warranty if you use bonneting. Um, and the challenge is, is, you know, Carpet and Rug Institute, that's a pretty good resource to go to to find a general path or idea of what the carpet mills look at and considered certified clean. The yes, we use, their, we use their seal of approval in all of our, in our carpet care class here at the Academy. So that's what we recommend. Thank you, Jerry. Yeah, so I would think that, um, you know, and I'm not saying this to say it's right or wrong, but I would think if there was a carpet floor machine manufacturer that had a specific chemical and a specific process in place, I don't think bonneting would have got that bad of a rap. The problem with bonneting is you, there's probably 50 different floor machines used, 50 different different types of uh bonnet pads used 100 different chemicals that somebody says this looks great or this works great versus this person i think the problem is the carpet mills just thought this is getting to be so crazy we're just going to tell everybody you can't bonnet the carpet well, the other thing is, is you think about it jerry i mean you're trying to pull dirt out i mean just use some common sense here when we're talking about this. Really, realistically, can I put a 70 or 100 pound machine on top of a bonnet, spin it, and push it down and, it and expect it to pull dirt out? Nope. Uh, because I think, what is it? Every, every, in a commercial building, I think you need to use a fresh bonnet pad. You, you probably know this better than me, but I think it's about every 150 square feet. And that's um, way too much. I believe it or not, when I go to some of the casinos here in Las Vegas and as I travel, that utility porter, guess what? Gets three bonnet machines for 15 to 17 rooms a day. Well, <laughs> so, and, yeah. that's why, and that's why I say what a bonnet does is it makes the carpet look evenly dirty. Yeah, and it's, it's super aggressive, too. And, you know, not to mention this, I like to use this example when I'm doing carpet care seminars or anything like that. But, you know, the term encapsulation, well, encapsulation's found its way to floor machines and bonneting. So my wife, she uses, uh, I don't know if anybody on here is familiar with dry shampoo, but it's basically a way for somebody when they spray this dry shampoo in their hair, they can clean their hair without having to jump into a shower. So when somebody tells me all they do is bonnet, I say that's the equivalent of not of using dry shampoo for an entire year every single day of the week and never jumping in the shower to rinse your hair out. What would your hair look like? You wouldn't have any left. Hey, right. You'd so, be bald like me. <laughs> and that's not so again, what created my problem either, Jerry. <laughs> But it's interesting. So, you know, it's a different. So so what's the answer? Well, there's there's a lot of minimum moisture approaches out there. And look, I don't think the purpose of the call is to get into that. But these are lighter weight machines that lift the pile. They don't mat them down. You generally use a very soft chemical. 
Um, matter of fact, I know a lot of contract cleaners that have park, parked a lot of their truck mounts because the advancement's being made in encapsulation. Um, so, but I don't know. Well, I think. Well, I mean, encapsulation is nothing new. Think about what does water do? Water encapsulates the dirt into and suspends it so you can move it. So I don't know why we believe that encapsulation is new. No, I mean, look at M&M's. <laughs> You've been uh, yeah, encapsulating I mean, yeah. the, the, the rich chocolate inside for a long time with a little tiny With the candy shell. coating on the outside. Yeah, we've been doing it for a long time. <laughs> okay. So it, it, as we talk about equipment, Jerry, I thank you for all of the insight we've talked about. I think we've went over the whole gamut, really, all the way from a 12-inch upright to a $60,000 uh, <laughs> robotic machine and, and everything in between. I mean, I had no idea we were going to do in 45 minutes to talk about all of that. <laughs> okay. So, folks, you've been on with us. I thank you. We've had over 20 people joining us. We've got three people that are still here with us. Uh, thank you for all of your attention to what we're talking about. Um, a couple of uh, last things we want to talk about, Jerry, uh, in closing here on equipment and equipment specialties and everything. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, one thing that I'm seeing, and I'm, I'm going to come down to the micro level here, but anybody out there that has to manage a fleet of battery machines, I don't care if it's a scrubber, a carpet extractor, whatever, um, I would say that there is a part of the industry that, you know, it's a huge part of the industry that needs to really understand the difference between a lead acid battery and AGM battery. Uh, you know, the new lithium batteries that are coming out. Another company out there has uh, TPPL batteries. I think the battery technology is going to solve a lot of problems in the next five to 10 years. But if you're looking at buying a piece of floor care equipment with the battery, you got to really understand what that salesperson is selling you. Um, because equipment on battery tends to be expensive. And there are a lot of people that will default to maybe the cheapest machine in that catalog, but you got to really understand what you're getting. Um, and I would just kind of challenge our audience and anybody out there that if you're going to buy a piece of equipment that's battery powered, you got to really understand what you're getting into about how that machine's powered. So folks, you heard it. Batteries are the important thing. They're not all created equal. Jerry, I got one last question for you. Shoot. On your personal bucket list, what is it? Um, uh, just well, that's, general that's, life. Folks, that's social. on the broadcasting business, what we call dead air. Well, I mean, is that your is personal that life? Not, is not, that... not business. No, 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 oh, not, just... not, not, not business. Your personal life, something that Jerry wants to do on his bucket list. Now, I know I'm closer to my bucket list than you. So let's just say something in the next few years you want to do. Personally, um, I'd actually like to put a book out about, uh, yeah, the, the idea behind it. No idea. The theme, no idea. Uh, <laughs> you just want to be I an author. Say, I just want to be an author. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Now let's see if Jerry can accomplish that. So we're going to keep up with Jerry and see if he can write a book in the next, what? Oh, geez. Three years. Yeah, who knows? And it might not even, you know, here, actually, I'll tell you this. Um, and then I know we're getting close to the time here, but a couple years, well, actually not a couple, maybe 15 years ago, I was sitting around with a group of my friends and I said, why don't we get together and make a good news newspaper? They said, good news newspaper? 
I'm like, yeah, the the newspaper that's only allowed to report good news, a volunteering act, a help a friend in need, so on and so forth. Um, I tell you what, I, I take my book back. I would like to get to the point where I may be a forefront person in spreading good news because that's kind of what the world needs right now. Well, Jerry, you're on it right now because we only talk about healthy, positive, and proactive things here on our broadcast. No, and I really appreciate you having me here. This was a lot of fun. I can't believe, uh, you know, 48 minutes goes really fast. So, see, Jerry, you're you're already getting some of what you want to do. We're talking about healthy, positive, proactive things. We're talking about doing the right thing. This is all good stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is we're on Podbean Live today, folks. Uh, thank you for all those people who have come on and off. So Jerry didn't know I was going to ask that last question, but you could tell as he started thinking about it, all of a sudden it started changing. And this is a whole thing, folks. We need to look at change. And when it comes to equipment, let's not do the same old tired things we've always been doing. Absolutely. Jerry, thanks for being on the show with us. Uh, you know what? You're welcome to come back anytime that you want to. Just let me know. Folks, we will have this uh, on our recorded uh, area on both the Academy of Cleaning Excellence.com and the Accredited Cleaning Expert.com. You can find us on, golly, guess, guess where? Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. We've got all of those. Remember, we've got the Rockstar program. And folks, this Thursday, Live here on the air, not on Podbean, but we're going to be doing a national uh, simulcast broadcast of infection prevention with Daryl Hicks. It's going to be, we're going to be talking about influenza, the coronavirus and everything. Uh, it's at a very reasonable price. You need to get on there and purchase your ticket for the live broadcast. It's going to be Thursday afternoon at 2 p.m. So go to the academyofcleaning.com. You can get uh, a link there. Um, gosh, we're everywhere. Folks, thanks for being on the air with us today. Jerry, thank you for being on with us. No, thanks for having me, Dave. I'm, I appreciate it. Folks, we're out of here. Take care, everybody. <laughs>